Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today's text is 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive in a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. So this chapter contains, what, three different lists? The first list coming in that first paragraph of the things that we ought to avoid. The second list being the things that Paul has done and Timothy has followed. And the third list being how we as Christians see the scriptures. So that's probably what you'll spend a lot of your time with this chapter on is the discussion of these lists. Um, Paul calls Timothy to understand that in the days to come, things will get more difficult. That comes up in both paragraphs, verse 1 and verse 12. Well, verse 13, I guess. And the people are going to be lovers of all sorts of evil things. We see all of these today, right? People who love themselves, people who love money, people who are prideful, you just go through the list. And perhaps one of the ways you talk about this chapter is you just ask your kids for examples. How, how have you seen this? Where have you seen this? Um, and if they don't understand a word, like maybe they don't know what actually means to be proud, or maybe they don't know what it means to be arrogant, well, you can describe those words to them and then see if they can, can follow up with examples. We could spend all day covering examples of these things. However, be cautious because slanderous is in the list. You're not giving examples in order to slander others and destroy their reputation. You are simply giving examples of sin that you see in the world around you in order to teach your children what things they ought not to do, what things they ought to avoid. I think it's noticeable how Paul starts the list with lovers of self 
because that is one of the ways we describe sin as turning inward and focusing on the self instead of caring for those around us. That self-centeredness is truly sin. And then, really the list ends in a similar way. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is our era to a T, right? Our, our culture is all about pleasure and entertainment. We are literally entertaining ourselves to death. Both in the physical sense, as you think of all the problems that come from screen addiction, but also in the, the second death sense, the eternal death of, of hell, because we are crushing our souls as we flee from God to do whatever we want to do, entertainment is, it's an idol, a big one for all of us. And yet Paul ends this whole thing by saying, avoid such people. Good luck, right? Who isn't on this list? Which of us hasn't been heartless? Which of us hasn't been reckless? Which of us hasn't um, loved pleasure? We've all done these things. This is a list of sin. But... The point here would be to avoid those people in the church who claim to be Christian who go about this way. Just like we saw in the end of yesterday's chapter, the reference back to Philotus and Hymenaeus who have shipwrecked their faith. And in verse 8 we see of Janus and Jambres who were part of the people of Israel that opposed Moses. If you avoid such people... Outside the church, you'll never share the gospel with anyone. And that's not what we have been called to do. Remember, Jesus went to such as these. He went to us. So, certainly, went to such as these. But if people are living like this while they're part of the church, then the church marks them. Like, we notice them. We, in a sense, we're excommunicating them. We're removing them from the fellowship in order that they might see their error and repent, that they might want to become part of the fellowship again. What is verse 6 getting at? Now that there are men there who are creeping into households, capturing weak women, and that they are burdened with sin and, and led astray by various passions. So they are burdened with sin. They're, they're guilty. They even have that guilt. They need forgiveness, but they don't seek it. They're not arriving at the truth. So what exactly it means that they're creeping into households, capturing weak women? And that sounds like they're stealing um, brides for themselves. Not sure we know exactly the example Paul's going for here. But they're not repenting, right? Almost like Judas, when he betrays the Christ, instead of repenting and going to Jesus, he goes to the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders, and they can't help him because they don't have the truth. And so these are also, they're seeking, but they're going to the wrong place. They're not repenting to God, so their guilt is not taken away. Their burden of sin is not done away with, even though Christ has already took it on the cross. So again, we have Janus and Jambres mentioned here in verse 8. They are unknown to us in the Old Testament. They're not scriptural names other than here in the New Testament. But rabbinic tradition holds that they were two of the magicians in the court of Pharaoh. Men that opposed Moses, opposed the truth of God, but their folly would become plain to all 
as Pharaoh's foolishness was known to all. The text changes a little bit as you get to the second paragraph here, uh, that Timothy has followed Paul and his teaching, his conduct. So, you know, we're talking about conduct in the paragraph above. His aim in life, which goes back to chapter 2. What's, your, what's the aim? What's your purpose? What is your master's aim? What's the aim of the one who enlisted you to serve? And Paul would talk about this elsewhere as winning the crown of righteousness for faithfulness and service. So Paul's faith, how he trusts in God above all things, his patience, how he's willing to endure so many various things, his love for his brethren in the church, his, his steadfastness, again, connects back to faith and patience there, persecutions and sufferings. As he goes about his various journeys, so many things happen to him. He gives a couple of examples here, not not specifically, but by the town names, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. You can read about what happens to him uh, in these places in Acts chapter 13 and 14, uh, where he is chased out of towns for preaching the gospel. Uh, and in Lystra specifically, he's stoned to the point of death. They think they killed him and they drag him out and he's not quite dead. And so he recovers from that. Persecutions I endured. From them all the Lord rescued me. The Lord will rescue us from all persecution, whether now or later. And right, and he may do it now, like he did for Paul, so that you can keep on preaching the gospel. He may not do it now. Christians are killed for their faith. They are martyred. Paul eventually himself was martyred. But the Lord still rescues us from that persecution, right? He raises our body from the dead. And he reunites body and soul together again and gives us paradise, life with him that never ends. Verse 12 is one that the church doesn't see. Like the American church today just doesn't believe verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You want to be a Christian? Expect to be persecuted. You want to follow Jesus? Expect to be persecuted. And Jesus said this himself, right? The world hate, hates you because it hated me. If it hated the master, it will hate the servants of the master. We see this with anything political, right? If you have a political candidate that you love, and the other side despises your political candidate that you love, they're going to despise you too. Our culture is so polarized over such things. Well, if you desire to live a godly life, if you wish to follow Jesus, the rebels who are left in this world are going to hate you for it and they're going to persecute you. They're going to harm you. They're going to despise you. They're going to insult you. Notice that persecution takes more than one form. Persecution is not just martyrdom although that's the highest form of it. If you are insulted for following Christ, you are being persecuted in a very small way. If you are made fun of, if you are bullied, if you are cast out, if you are ostracized, if you are fined, if you are imprisoned, if you are beheaded, all of those things are different levels, different examples of ways that Christians are persecuted, and it's been happening to Christians all throughout the world ever since. 
There has not been, really, an era of safety, globally speaking, for the Christian church at any time. Even in the last 50 years where the church in America has endured such comfort and luxury, Christians in other locations have been being slaughtered almost at record pace. Um, I think I've heard that stat, that in the 20th century there were more Christian martyrs than in the rest of the time since Christ's ascension. It's brutal, and it may or may not be coming to a land near you soon. At least the stronger version. The lighter stuff is already here. Verse 13 is one the church has often rejected as well. Evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. There's a lot of evil in the world. There are some Christians who have thought that they have to make the world perfect in order for Jesus to return. This verse contradicts that clearly. Right? God's own word contradicts that clearly. The world will not get better. The world will get worse. That also opposes our ideas of evolutionary theory that we have running through our culture. Essentially, the idea is progress, that man is getting better. We've moved from something small to something better. We've moved from a, a lesser form of life to something better, and that man itself is continuing to improve and get better, and culture will get better, and everything's about getting better. Are we making progress? Or are things getting worse? Are the days getting darker? God's word is clear on this, and it's the opposite. We believe, as Christians, that things will get worse. Sins will multiply around us. But, verse 14, what do we do as that happens? Do we, you know, panic and run and flee and hide and, and, and wish to die so we get out of this place? Not at all. As for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Grandmother and mother and Paul, spiritual father. The word of God, the gospel. Continue in this. Hold firmly to this. Hold firmly to Christ. From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's a reference to the Old Testament scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So knowing God's word, um, that's a reference uh, the wise part to the books of wisdom, which we might think of uh, Proverbs or even the prayers in the Psalms. These, these things point you to Christ. They strengthen your faith. And then here's the list of things Scripture does. All scriptures breathed out by God. So the Word of God comes from God. That's why we call it the Word of God. It is profitable. It is good for these things. Teaching. So we teach people about Jesus. We teach people about being a good soldier of Jesus and sharing in his sufferings and what it means to love God and to love our neighbor and to fight this good fight of the faith. For reproof. So when somebody has gone astray, you've got reproof, which is a, a harsher form, I guess, of correction. So showing them the right way rather than letting them shipwreck their faith. Training in righteousness, so learning how to live that good life that we were just talking about. That the man of God may be complete, um, finished, um, equipped for every good work. 
God's word doesn't just tell us what not to do, right, the first paragraph, but it also shares with us what we are to do, how we are to love one another, how we are to care for creation and, and such things. So know that the world is evil and that evil will go from bad to worse and it will be all around you and that persecution will come. But cling to Christ above all and he will see you safely home. The Lord be with you forevermore. Amen.